0: Welcome to the Prairie City United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. Here's the latest message from Pastor John Bailey. We are talking about what it means to be part of the family of God. And as we talk about it, I want us to think about what it means to be in a place of learning, developing, growing, We're all about what this language of saint means in the Bible. And sometimes within the church community, we've kind of taken a way of forgetting the true meaning of saint, which is Paul's understanding of saint. It comes from the the word hagos, H A G I O S. It's the Greek word that Paul uses to talk about the saints. And it doesn't mean that they've done like miracles, though it might be miraculous. It doesn't mean that they've had certain signs, but rather Paul says that the saints are all those who are part of the Christian faith, who uplift and nurture and teach and follow Jesus Christ. Those that encourage others to be part of the faith. Today we celebrate that, both as you've made that commitment to Lilia. And as we think of those that came before us, whose shoulders we stand upon. I'm captivated by this understanding of what it means to learn, means to be nurtured, what it means to grow in our faith. And I just advocate that if you are by a Bible that's in your pew today, that you join with us in reading the text when it comes up. And this is on uh, page 317 of your Bible, 317 and 318 of your Bible. I wonder when we ask about ourselves with learning and get developed, how do we go about this? Where do we take counsel from people? I once heard there's three people that you should have in your life. That's most important. Three people to have in your life. The first one is who is your mentor? Who's mentoring you? The second one is who's your peer your friend, somebody that you can share with that is going through the same struggles with you. And the last one, and this always thought, I thought this so interesting, is who are you nurturing? Who's your mentee? Who are you teaching? Who are you bringing up? If we find something important in our life, we're thinking and looking around to see who we can have and train to take over when we are no longer able to do it ourselves. I think there's great importance within what we do in the church when we do it well. And so the question is, who are we teaching? Who are we striving to make better? Sometimes I wonder if we learn more from watching others and finding out what not to do, or maybe we learn more from our mistakes than from our wins. Do you ever feel that way? I know I do sometimes what voices though are in our ear when we have learned that we did something that we could have done better. What lessons do they strive for us to do? And today the scripture lesson, and you might've heard it and thought to yourself, where are you going to go with this? John? Where are you going with this scripture lesson? And I've thought that before too, of what does this, you know, like when I first picked out and saw the narrative lectionary, I thought, what am I going to do with this lesson? And so in until I started thinking a little bit more about where this is coming from. And this comes from a deep backstory. We have been tracing throughout this fall, the narrative lectionary and talking through the old Testament lessons that maybe you heard when you were a child in Sunday school, but ones like this, probably that you didn't and thinking through them as adults, like what do they mean for our lives right now? And if you remember where we were last week with David Remember King David? He had his rise to power. And remember King David? He wasn't perfect. He didn't have everything in order. But there is something about David that we were, we've we been captivated about. Throughout the years in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew text, he has mentioned more than anybody else. Remember me saying this last week? He's mentioned more than 1,100 times, more than Moses, more than Abraham, more than the prophets. There's something about David that has drawn our attention. And it's not because he had everything in order and he did everything perfectly. He had a lot of stuff that he did wrong. He was immoral at times, deceitful. He covered up things. He did things himself that weren't right. His son goes and, 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 and has sexual indiscretion with a woman, forces himself upon a woman, and he covers it up. His other son has another person murdered, and he covers it up. This isn't why we're captivated with David, because there's many times that David does not do what we would say we want to learn from. Maybe we learn from his mistakes. But more, there are those rare moments with perfect clarity And with excitement and joy that God puts, that David puts God at the center of what he does. Remember last week's passage, he dances with joy. He praises loudly as he brings the ark and God's presence into the middle of his kingdom, which is what unites both the North and the South and the 12 tribes into one. And God's grace is shown through that uniting. And his son, Solomon, is what is the precursor to today because Solomon comes next. And what we see is those imperfect attitudes of what it means to be a king continue to bring themselves year after year. Solomon, you might know Solomon because of his great wealth. They say at one time his temple was the eighth wonder of the world. At one time, he was gifted gold, which he didn't need from Queen Sheba, which was 120 talents of gold. Each talent of gold weighed over 100 pounds of gold. This would be over seven tons of gold that he had at his disposal, just from one gift from somebody. He had a harem, it says, in chapter 11, right before this, he had 300 uh wives and princesses. No, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. 700 wives and princesses uh, that, at, that he had married and 300 in his harem. And I don't say this to say how great he was, but I say this to say that King, King Solomon was wealthy. And the problem is, is that what we see throughout these kings as they pass it down line by line, that thing that David did that was so special about putting God at the center of all he did and trying to strive after God gets lost. And we find that Solomon has lost his way. He's lost his way. And it says in verse seven of, of, of first Kings chapter 11, right before this, that somehow in the midst of this, that as Solomon has lost his way, that God had turned, that Solomon had turned his heart away from the Lord. And through that, these united tribes, it says that God says, because you've turned your heart away from me. And maybe it's because of the many wives he had on one side and the immorality he had Or maybe it's on the other side with where we catch up with the passage today where it says that because Solomon had built this great empire, he had done it on the backs of others. He had oppressed people and put them to hard labor and crushed them under his thumb. Maybe it's because of that, but God says, I'm going to take it all away from you. All but one kingdom, one tribe. Now, one say that it might be his immorality on this side with the lust of his heart and the greed and the other side, the oppression. But the truth of the matter is, is both of those came to the same conclusion. Solomon treated people like things instead of seeing the image of God in them. But this is where we catch up with the first lesson for today. Is that the sins of the father become the sins of the son. The transgressions of the parent became the transgressions of the children. And if you're reading along with me in the passage to pick it up, it says, Rehoboam, this is the son of Solomon. Okay? So we have David, Solomon, Rehoboam now. A lineage, a cycle. Rehoboam went to Shechem where all Israel had come to make him king. So the passage we hear today is after Solomon has died and God has said, I'm going to give your trusted advisor, Jeroboam, the other 11 tribes, and you'll keep one. And Solomon gets mad and tries to kill Jeroboam and Jeroboam flees to the north. And now Solomon has died and his son, Rehoboam, is going to be put into the seat. And so we're going to see Jeroboam coming back to talk to Rehoboam. And it says, uh, make him king. When Jeroboam, Naboth's son, heard the news, he returned to Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. The people sent and called for Jeroboam, who had along with the entire Israelite assembly, listen to that entire Israelites assembly went and said to Rehoboam, your father made our workload load very hard for us. Our workload, very hard for us. Another translation, the one that you have in the pews says our yoke made our yoke very hard for us. If you will lessen the demands your father made of us and lighten the heavy workload, the yoke he demanded from us, we will serve you. We will serve you. Now, Rehoboam has a decision to make here. His father had put others under his thumb to build his own kingdom and his own power to glorify himself. He had treated others as property and things instead of seeing the blessed goodness that are in them. And he now Rehoboam, his son has a decision to make, but this is the the lesson we have is the transgressions of the parent become the transgressions of the child. He says, come back. Rehoboam says, come back to me in three days. And King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, when he was alive. What do you advise? Rehoboam asked, how should I respond to these people? And the, and the advisor said, if you will be a servant to the people by answering them and speaking good words today, then they will be your servants forever. Forever. If you speak grace, if you find a way to serve others, they will follow you. They will know what is good and be behind you. But Rehoboam ignored the advice of the elders. And instead he sought the counsel of his young advisors who had grown up with him and now served him. What do you advise? He asked them, how should we respond to these people who have said to me, lighten the workload your father demanded of us. And the young people, they were probably about 40 at this age, but they hadn't learned yet. Who had grown up with him, said to him, these people say, said to you, your father made our workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now, this is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than the father's entire waist. There's a joke there. I'm not going to go there though. So if my father made your workload heavy, I'll make it even heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with Scorpions. And Jeroboam goes back to the people to tell him this. The transgressions of the parent can become the transgressions of the child. This is our first lesson, and it is wonderfully important both for All Saints Day and for those that are going through baptism, because we've committed to be with them in our faith walk. As we think about the transgressions in our life, there are plenty of those that we can point to that are further and beyond ourselves. Maybe we talk about the cycle of transgressions or even the cycle of abuse that studies have been done, the cycle of addiction, the cycle of uh, those things that go from generation to generation, whereas the parent has transgressions, the child also has transgressions. And it's, they say it takes four or five generations for it to be led through unchecked four or five generations before that cycle is broken. Or maybe we talk about the cycle of what it means to get anger passed from one generation to the other. The hothead parent who is quick to react and quick to respond is one that passes it on to their children And they find themselves in that cycle as well. Cycles of codependency where we fail to know what it means to be dependent. I mean, individuals in the midst of being dependent on others for support as it passes from child to child cycles of pride and prejudice. Thinking of cycles of racism and bigotry An oppression that is passed from generation to generation to generation. How many times when these quick reactions, untethered anger gets passed and it creates a pattern. But there is a lesson here from the wise advisors. It doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be that way for the transgressions of the parent does not need to be transferred to the transgressions of the child. Instead, we could create a new cycle, a cycle of blessing. And this is what I think is so wonderful that if we've grown up in a cycle that is unhealthy and ungreat, just destructive, that somehow the family of God, the church can be a place that changes the cycle into something different, a cycle of blessing. So the blessings of the parent can become the blessings of the child. That somehow as we join together in this space, as we commit to teach one another, to learn with one another, somehow in the midst of that, as we encourage one another and uplift one another, the cycle is broken and changed into something new and beautiful. And here's where I pick up with Paul of Tarsus, the great evangelist, St. Paul, who talks about what it means to be a saint. A saint is a person that pours into others that listens to them, that encourages them, that teaches them, that loves them, that listens to the first advisors and says, be a servant to them and they will walk beside you in your work. And the cycle of blessing promotes itself and lives in itself Encouragement is a better teacher than anything else. The second lesson that we see in here is that God redefines power. That this cycle of power is redefined in the blessing of God. Remember what it meant to be a good shepherd? That God divides what is hurtful and harmful from what is great. It says, in first Kings chapter 12, as we read from the wise advisors, if you will be a servant to his, this people by answering them and speaking good words today, then they will be your servants forever. Remember Jesus blessed are the meek blessed are the mourners blessed are the poor. These are the inheritors of the kingdom of God. There seems to be a different version of power presented in this pa- passage. If you read and listen to the mistakes of Rehoboam, that power is not the ability to crush others or treat them like objects, but to see the blessed image of God within everyone to have a servant's heart. That power comes from humility. Power comes from, from something that cuts the divide of what separates us and brings unity into our midst. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The lessons that we learn in this show us where Rehoboam went wrong. He goes for disunity, disorder, and eventually dishonor of who God can be in our lives. But here on all saints day, we honor those that have gone before us who have taught us what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the lessons are here to pour goodness into others, to create a cycle of blessing. The blessings of the parents become the blessings of the child, uplift, encourage, share, love, listen, and support one another. We've been taught what it means to be good shepherds, to find humility and to provide grace, even when it doesn't meet our own means. Grace is about the image of God and not about the image of me. Thanks for listening to the Prairie City United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed the message you just heard, feel free to share it with a friend. And if you're ever in the Prairie City, Iowa area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. They're held every Saturday night at six and Sunday mornings at nine. For directions or to learn more about the church, go to facebook.com slash PCIowaUMC. That's facebook.com slash PCIowaUMC. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.